Well, good morning again, everybody. We are going to come to that time now where we approach God's Word. And so we're not going to read the Bible straight away. We will get to reading the Bible. But I do encourage you, we're going to go through the letter of Philemon today. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the letter of Philemon, but we're going to tackle the, the whole thing this morning. So if you have your Bible, open up to Philemon and we'll, uh, we'll read it together in a moment. Before we get into it, though, I always like to pray before we approach God's Word, for myself and for us. So please let me pray. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. We thank you for how it revealed as you, for the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for what it means that we are now your people. And we pray this morning as we look at this letter of Philemon, a little tucked away letter, we do pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'll be transforming our heart to be more like your son, Jesus, and that you do transform us into a forgiving and reconciling community. And so I pray also for my brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters across the screen, please do help them to engage with, with what's going on here, and yet your spirit is just as work, just as at work in their homes as it is in this room. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a question. What is your forgiveness threshold? What is, how much are you willing to, to tolerate when it comes to forgiveness? Let me give you like a bit of a scenario, a little paint, a bit of a picture for you. Let's say a person knocks into you. Do you forgive them? Let's say like you're on the way to work and the person knocks into you and they knock your coffee out of your hand and it goes everywhere. Would you forgive them? What about if you're going to work, that person knocks you, knocks your coffee, it goes all over that new blouse that you just bought. Do you forgive them then? What about they do all those things, but when the coffee goes across you, it gets in your phone and ruins your new phone. What about then? Do you forgive them? What about they actually bump into you so hard that it not only goes all over your clothes, ruins your phone, but you fall and you break your arm. Do you forgive them then? And what about they do all those things and they break your arm and that mean you, meant you need to go to the ER and you miss the birth of your first child. Do you forgive them then? Well, what would it take for you to forgive them? And, and would it make a difference if you knew the person? Would it make a difference the kind of day that you had? Would it make a difference if there were other people watching? What about if they said sorry? What if you found out that they did it deliberately? Would you forgive them? What, what, what's the threshold of your forgiveness? At what point would you forgive? Now, I get that that, that kind of story, is, it's made up in a sense. It's a bit of fun. It's arbitrary. But forgiveness is real, isn't it? And it's icky, and it's messy, and it's grueling, and it costs us. And forgiveness can be really complex, can't it? Now, in our minds, we kind of hold up forgiveness as, as a bit of an ideal, don't we? we? We really like the idea of forgiveness. We think it's a good thing, and we would want other people to forgive us. But what, when we're wronged, when we're the one who's hurt, when we're the one who experiences the pain, when we're the one who's grieved, 
and we actually have to practice giving forgiveness, practice forgiveness to others, it's a different story, isn't it? It's something we can know so much in, in our mind and intellectually, but practiced is so difficult. And I think the words of C.S. Lewis captures it best when he says, we all agree that forgiveness is a good idea until we need to practice it. And I certainly feel that. I literally preach forgiveness, right? In this moment, preaching forgiveness. And in, in some sense, that's easy to do. But when you actually go and have to do it, to actually practice forgiveness, that's hard. That's where the rubber really hits the road. And today, in our exploration of this letter to Philemon, we're going to explore what it means for us as disciples of Jesus to forgive others, to follow out his calling on our life, our identity to be people who forgive and reconcile. To not hold people at arm's length, not to, to keep vengeance, but to seek to have restoration, reunity, reunifying in relationship. Now, we're not going to do like a big exploration of biblical theology when it comes to forgiveness. Uh, we're not going to look at kind of all the ins and outs. We are going to look at Philemon as a bit of like a case study of what uh, forgiveness is all about. So I do want to say one kind of comment just at the outset here, and I just want you to hear a little bit about the heart of what's, uh, what I'm going to do. Because I recognize that forgiveness is a very complex topic. I recognize that a lot of hurt, a lot of pain could be experienced by you, could be experienced by a friend or someone that you know. And there's a lot of uh, wisdom and uh, nuance and partial theology that needs to be applied uh, in certain situations especially ones which are quite criminal or domestic violence or issues that are quite violent in their nature. And so I want to recognize that that is a real thing, but we're going to explore what it looks like for forgiveness to happen uh, through this letter as a bit of a a case study. And so I do want to encourage you, if you are someone who is experiencing or or navigating what it looks like to reconcile in those kind of very, very serious matters, uh, please do find someone that you can, can support you along that. As the pastors, we love to come alongside you, pray for you, and, and work, uh, walk beside you. But our task together this morning is to see what's going on in, in Philemon. We're going to wrestle with it, try to study it, and apply what it means uh, in our life today. And so with all that kind of said, let's narrow our focus. Now, when you come to Philemon, you really do have to narrow your focus, right? It's a very small, it's a very obscure letter. It's found at the very back of Paul's uh, writings. And I don't know, has anyone heard Philemon be quoted before? For those on all one hand, well done. I've never seen it quoted anywhere. But that's because Philemon, it's not known for its like theological nuggets. It is immensely practical. It is theology applied. And so we're going to primarily look at it through the, the eyes of Philemon, what it looks like to be the person who needs to forgive, the person who is grieved and needs to offer forgiveness. Now, as we look into it, I'm going to make the assumption that you, you know a bit about the Bible. You know a bit about Jesus and his teaching, but you know nothing about Philemon. Because when I began this, I knew nothing about him either, so I'm just assuming we're on the same page there. And so I want to give you a bit of like a... Uh, the, the background of what's going on. Because the first thing to know when we open up the letter of Philemon is we're jumping into the middle of a story. And actually, it's not the middle. It's like kind of the climax of a story. I have this kind of terrible thing, not terrible, but with my wife Elizabeth, when she's watching movies or whatever, I'm off doing something else and I come in an hour through 
And then I'm like, what's going on here? Why is this person doing that? What's going on? And she just rolls her eyes very lovingly at me and just says, don't worry, Matt, just watch it another time. Or she'll pause it for the next 20 minutes, explain what's going on, and then we go from there. So let me give you a little bit of, well, 20 minutes into, into two, about where we're up to in the story of Philemon. So that when we read it in a moment, we'll know what's going on. You can call this section previously in the life of Philemon and Onesimus. So Philemon, wealthy. He's a uh, resident of the town of Colossae. That's how he starts. And then Paul, in one of his missionary journeys, he, he comes across Philemon. We don't know, we're not told the story, but when you look at the letter, we know that Paul is the one who has brought Philemon to faith. And they formed a really strong, deep gospel partnership. And Philemon becomes the church leader. Well, like he, he has a house, uh, and there's a house church, and he's the leader of that house church. He owns a household. And in that household in those days, there's servants, slaves. One of them is named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, we don't know what he did or how he went about it, but he probably ran away. And in that process, he significantly grieved Philemon. He's probably stole from him some kind of big financial burden has been placed on Philemon, there's some substantial cost that Onesimus has done to Philemon. We don't know what it is, but it's significant. Now, Onesimus, he runs away from Colossae, which is in kind of modern-day Turkey, and he probably ends up in Rome. And in Rome, he meets Paul. In the providence of God, God has used this runaway man named Onesimus to find Paul. And Paul preaches the gospel to him, evangelizes Onesimus, and he comes to faith too. The same man, Paul, who evangelized Philemon and now Onesimus, has these guys as brothers. They are Christians now. Now, Paul keeps him around for a little while, and at some point he decides, okay, I'm going to send Onesimus back. Onesimus, you need to go back and be reconciled to Philemon. Now, that's no small feat, right? That's a big thing to ask of Paul, uh, to ask of Onesimus, and it's going to be a very big thing to ask of Philemon. And so Paul sends Onesimus, and Onesimus goes. But he goes with this letter, the letter that we have in our Bibles here. And so Onesimus returns to Philemon. He returns with that letter in his hand and hope in his heart. That's all that he has as he approaches Philemon. Because there is no law for Onesimus to stand on. There is no guarantee that Philemon will offer any form of Christian love or charity to Onesimus. The law demands that Onesimus should be punished. That's, that's what Onesimus actually has to stand on, his punishment. But he is going in hope. Because he knows the gospel has changed Paul. He knows the gospel has changed him. And it's also changed Philemon. And because of the grace that they have received, Onesimus in trust is hoping that Philemon will extend that grace to him too. So Onesimus knocks on the door and then hands, Paul, uh, hands Philemon this letter and Philemon reads it out. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends, in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thanks, Steve. So what do you do? You're Philemon and Nesmus standing before you, and then you read that letter. Do you offer forgiveness? Do you seek reconciliation? Now, we actually don't know what happened. That's the end of the letter. We don't have any follow-up. We don't know for sure uh, what happened. But what is clear is that Paul knows that the gospel, the reconciliation which we experience with God, not only changes our relationship with God, but changes the relationship that we have with each other. Meaning Philemon, Christian, there is a possibility for forgiveness and reconciliation. Now that's not directly what Paul says, is it? It is, is the meaning of what's going behind it. But so let's explore. We'll work through together uh, what Paul actually does say. Now given the situation... Right, with Onesimus, letter in hand, coming before Paul. Did you find it a bit strange how Paul began? It's, he actually begins how he begins most of his letters, 
with a hello, a greeting, uh, a very nice, warm uh, invitation of uh, hello. And then he gets to his thanksgiving and prayer. And when you have a look, verse 4 and 5, and it's very kind of typical Paul thanksgiving and prayer, except the thing that Paul is kind of picking out is very intentional. It is very deliberate, the aspects of Philemon's character which he draws out. Because he picks on Philemon's Christian identity. And he's going to lay that out as this is the basis for which, you are got, for which he is going to give his appeal for him to forgive Onesimus. And in particular, Paul, he draws on three things. He points out the, the clear faith that Philemon has in Jesus. He has faith in Jesus. The second thing is that Philemon, he loves the Lord's people. He is refreshing their hearts. He is clearly having love in action towards people. And then there's a, thirdly, a partnership. There's a clear partnership that, that Philemon and Paul have together. And in light of all of Paul's letters that we see uh, throughout the New Testament, like these are very much core Christian identity, isn't it? Faith and love, partnership. And Paul is... A, it's definitely expressing here, Philemon, you've got an incredible love for God's people because you love Jesus. Paul is saying, you've been refreshing their hearts. And as he goes on to say later, I need you to please refresh mine. Paul, he's laying a bit of the hints here. He's sincerely and genuinely reminding Philemon of his core Christian identity and character. That is the basis for which Philemon can forgive. And then Paul gets to the heart of the issue, all right? The heart of the issue, which is the man Onesimus standing in front of Philemon. Lots of details to unpack throughout this letter here. I would encourage you after this, sometime this week, read it. There's, there's lots of little uh, beautiful nuggets of truth and application to draw out. But we want to look at three things in particular. We want to look at the necessity of forgiveness. Then secondly, the cost of forgiveness and then finally, how that is beautiful and how that's a witness to the world. So first, let's tackle the necessity of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not negotiable. It's not like an added extra for a Christian. Forgiveness is necessary. And the primary reason for this forgiveness, which Paul lays out in verse 9 and then continues uh, again later in verse 14, is that it's out of the basis of love. It's love that, or out of love that Philemon is called to forgive. It's not forced, it's to be voluntary, it's to come out of Philemon's Christ-like character. Onesimus is deserving of love from Philemon in the same way all the other members of his household and his church are. But for Onesimus, it's not just love for, for anyone now. It's love for a brother. Like Philemon's forgiveness is more than just mercy to this, to this man. It's more than just preventing punishment. It's receiving this rebellious and now repentant Onesimus back as a brother. Paul is saying, Philemon, you're in Christ. Onesimus is in Christ. And because of that, you need to offer forgiveness. You need to seek reconciliation with each other. You guys are like two players on a football field. You've got to be working towards the same goal. On, you're on the same team. Two Christians who are at odds with one another, hating on, it, on one another, disunified. Paul is saying that is not the Christian way. And friends, we too 
are called to offer forgiveness. We're called to seek reconciliation with one another. Forgiveness, it's not like a kind of optional extra with our Christian brothers and sisters. It's necessary. And so like Jesus, when he prayed for us, for his, the future followers of him in John 17, he could have prayed for anything, right? He prayed for our unity, that we would be unified as his people. We are one family, as Paul says in Galatians, neither slave nor free. That's particularly applicable here. All are one in Christ Jesus. And because we're forgiven by God, we too can go and forgive others. And of course, it's not easy. It's definitely hard. The details need to be worked out, of course. It could take an enormous amount of time. It might not be an instant thing. But amongst it all, the imperative is very, very clear. Because we are in Christ, it is necessary for us to offer forgiveness and to seek reconciliation with one another. Now, as I kind of say all that, as I was preparing, a bit of kind of anxiety grew up within me and like a bit of uncomfortability because a bit of alarm bells are ringing, right? Because you're like, well, it's just, it's not that simple. It's really not that simple to just forgive, is it? Because there's always a cost. There is always a cost when it comes to forgiveness. And that's the second point we're going to get to. Forgiveness is never free. It always comes at a cost. And we know that, don't we? We know that intuitive in our life. We've experienced it. Uh, we know it to be true. Forgiveness is raw. It's messy. It's grueling. It's certainly costly. And more than being just not free, it goes against our natural inclinations, doesn't it? And I think that's why Paul is saying to Onesimus in lots of different ways, uh, Paul is saying to Philemon, sorry, Philemon, view Onesimus as if he were me. Look at Philemon, and that is my heart. Welcome him as if he were me. Because Paul knows that Philemon's natural inclination is to reject Onesimus. Onesimus has hurt him. He's caused him grief, pain, all sorts of things. He's ran away. You can imagine Philemon with excuses, the reasoning why he can't. I felt the same in my life, and I'm sure you have too. When someone has hurt us, when, we've done some, when they've done something that's grieved us significantly, and forgiveness kind of crops up within us, like we talk ourselves out of it. We know, we talk to ourselves about the pain they've caused, the problem uh, that has arisen. Because there is a cost, friends. When we're going to forgive someone, there needs to be a realignment of our heart to forgive the other person, no matter how close or far away they are to us. Now, in the case of Paul, specific to this scenario, is that there's a very tangible and seemingly financial cost that Onesimus owes to Philemon. And it seems it would be vastly inappropriate for Onesimus to just wander back into Philemon's house as if nothing had ever happened. And Paul, he recognizes that, and he doesn't even suggest that. As he says in verse 18, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Amongst all the other things of the letter, Paul is saying, I'm going to pay the cost. Forgiveness in this scenario is not Onesimus, just say sorry and it's okay. It's not, okay, fine, let me just move on. You're Christian brothers and sisters now. Ignore it. Move on. It's not that either. And it's not, let's just ignore the offense, ignore the barrier, pretend it didn't even happen. 
Paul recognizes, no, there is an offense. There is a barrier. It must be addressed. In this case, it's financial. And Paul says, I'll pay it. Like, isn't that extraordinary? Paul is willing to pay the cost for Onesimus. In these very actions, Paul is embodying the gospel, isn't he? He's embodying the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the work of Jesus on the cross is not mentioned once in this letter, but it is so vividly displayed in action. Because we know for us to be forgiven, between us and God, for us to be forgiven, to be reconciled, there's an incredible debt. There's our transgression, our rebellion, our running away from God. And as it says in Romans, the wages for those things which is called sin is death. There's an incredible cost between us and God that needed to be paid. But Jesus stepped into earth. He stepped out of heaven to bear that punishment, to take the cost for us so we can be forgiven, so that we can be reconciled to God. And in the story, Paul is embodying what that looks like. He is saying, I will bear the cost. I'll demonstrate that love. And friends, there is an incredible cost with forgiveness, we know. In relationships, it needs to be real and present. And it will need to be born in if we're going to offer forgiveness and be reconciled. The way of Jesus is our reason, it's our mandate, it's our example to follow. We don't replace him. We're just following in his example to us but of course it's going to be so hard come alongside your brothers and sisters and of course god he knows the cost that we're going to have to bear going to have to pay he knows the wrong the hurt the pain that we've experienced and that someone is going to have to bear a cost for people to be reconciled but please don't let that cost be the hindrance as we have been forgiven so we go and forgive others. Yes, we'll need to count the cost. However, the results of forgiveness are beautiful. The results of someone who forgives and who is reconciled is an absolute beauty and a wonderful witness of the gospel. Because when we forgive, that's, that's the avenue to which relationships begin to flourish again. When they begin to blossom the barriers are addressed and overcome and we experience the beauty and the freedom that is only found in forgiveness. Now, I'm sure you've heard in general life and around that um, forgiveness is valuable to you. Like, you know, just forgive for yourself. And that, that is certainly true. Uh, Paul doesn't say it here, but we know that we experience a wonderful relief and freedom from the pain that, that's only possible when we forgive. We experience blessing ourselves when we forgive others. But true Christian forgiveness is that and more. Because our forgiveness is about being a blessing to the other person. Christian forgiveness is about extending the same grace that we've received in Christ to others so that the other person can flourish, so the other person can too be blessed. And when we embody this, friends, like when we are a community that is forgiving, that we are reconciling to one another, what a powerful witness that is to our world. Because it is so unnatural. It is so counterintuitive. Now, we, as I said before, we don't know what happened to Philemon and Onesimus after this. We're not told exactly. But we have the letter, right? It wasn't ripped up. It wasn't burned. It made its way into our Bibles. 
So I think that we can probably say that Philemon did extend that forgiveness. He did seek that reconciliation with his Christian brother. And if that were to happen, imagine the kind of scene that would have created in Colossae. Like here you have a wealthy landowner who owns slaves, and now one of them comes back and he forgives him. He treats him as a brother. Not because it's good for him, but because he is in relationship with Christ, and that changes the way he's in relationship with others, in particular this man, Onesimus. That's a powerful witness of the gospel in action. And now imagine in our world, in our day, it's going to be so similar. Human nature is pretty consistent when it comes to not wanting to forgive. It is so countercultural if we live a lifestyle of forgiveness. It's going to be intriguing. And it's actually going to be really attractive to our friends, to our community around us. When they see Christians are a forgiving, a reconciling community because of their God. Now last week, David, he mentioned the Abdullah family. And the family that after the, the, the death of their three children, their cousin at the hand of a drunk driver, chose to forgive. Now, our society was, was astonished by that, weren't they? They, could, they? they were just astounded that they had the capacity, let alone the conviction, to forgive. As a result of that, there was a, a day that were called I Forgive Day, which began last year. And on the inaugural occasion, both the New South Wales and federal uh, leaders came to the event and... Uh, they spoke about forgiveness. And it was grounded in being a witness to God, in a witness to the reconciling relationship they've experienced with God and their heart to forgive because they have been forgiven. What a witness to our world. What a witness if we're a community that is reconciling to one another, not ignoring the problem, of course, but seeking forgiveness, seeking that true reconciliation. That is a witness of the gospel to the work of God in our life and to what Jesus has offered to this world for all those who repent and believe and have faith in him. Now, I trust that the Holy Spirit has been putting things on your heart as, as we've gone through the letter to Philemon. But let me say one more thing, nice and clear and direct. Who is it that you need to forgive? Is there a person you need to offer forgiveness to? A person that you need to seek reconciliation with? And of course, yes, perhaps it will take time. But perhaps it will take counsel. Perhaps it will take a whole lot of journey and prayer and wisdom. But the encouragement and the mandate is clear. Because we are in Christ and we have his love, we are to offer forgiveness and to seek reconciliation with each other especially with our Christian brothers and sisters. And when we do that, what a beautiful and flourishing God-centered community will we, will we be, all to the glory of our God. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and God, we firstly thank you that we are forgiven, that we have reconciliation with you because you sent your son Jesus. That is the only basis to which we can even contemplate, begin to dream of what it looks like to forgive one another because you have forgiven us. And God, we do pray that by your Holy Spirit, he will be transforming our heart so that we can forgive others. Our natural inclination is going to be against, but help us to step in line with your Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself. 
to live out the way of the Lord Jesus in our life. Unify us, we pray. And we ask that as we live out a reconciling and forgiving community, you will get all the glory, you'll get all the praise. And we ask that it will be attractive and draw people on the next step closer to you. And we ask this in your powerful name. Amen.